G'day, this is Jason Hewitt from Sydney, Australia. Welcome to the Leadership Pause. We've taken on your feedback for longer episodes. So we're going to take the sustained pause today. Welcome to episode seven, where we're going to have guest David Barter, husband, father, pastor, business owner, and author, speaking to us about the soul of a leader but I believe a very important topic for our times. So stay tuned for the end of the episode. I will give you ways that you can connect with David Barter. So join me, get ready, pens at the ready. Uh, This is gonna be a great episode that is going to be very helpful for leaders across the planet. The leader's soul is David Barter. G'day, Dave Barter. Great to have you here with us on the Leadership Pause. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me, Jason. So great to uh, be able to come and just uh, share my story and, and you know, I'll, I'll hopefully be a, a blessing to those who are listening. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so pumped that you're here with us today. I know you've got a message to share that's going to help leaders listening across the planet. So, yeah, really thankful that you've given up your valuable time to be with us today. I just want to jump straight into an icebreaker so we can get to know you a little bit better right off the bat. Would you rather have a rewind button or a pause button on your life? Um, yeah, interesting question. I think most people would want a fast forward button, hey, like, and want to uh, get to the future quicker. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to rewind as such. I think, um, I think, you know, despite what I've gone through in my life, it has made me the person I am. So I don't think I'd want to uh, to rewind too far back and try and change anything. But definitely a pause button would be interesting. Um, I think, you know, it reminds me of that movie Click. Have you ever seen that movie Click with, um, yes. I think it's Adam Sandler in it. And, uh, you know, we can stop and rewind and pause and and the, this, the all the crazy stuff that happened because of that. But a pause button would be great because I think it, it, it leads me to reflect and be able to look back and go, okay, you know, how could I do things better in the future? Or, um, or of course, I could pause in a moment that I really enjoy and just stay there for a while. So, <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'd, I'd go the pause button as well. Yeah. So let, let's have a look at your author journey before we do get into the content of your actual book. Uh, a lot of people that I, I talk to when they hear that you've written a book, they want to, you know, there's a lot of aspirants out there. You know, a lot of people say they've got a book in them and, and that's great. Mm. So maybe just before we get into the content, can we talk about the process, like the self-talk, you know, yeah. those, those sort of yeah. things that you went through? Was it, like, was it a battle for you? Was there a bit of like, was there tension there? You know, what, what did you discover about yourself as you were yeah. writing the book? Yeah, it was an interesting journey. Um, so, you know, for me, I didn't realize at the time until I spoke to the publisher that I'd actually written the book quite quickly um, within a 12-month process. And she, the publisher was like, that's so quick. Like, people don't write books that quickly. It was written and edited within about a year and a half and released. So, um, but, you know, the whole idea of me being able to write something that somebody else is interested in or someone else would want to read about, um, it took a lot of self-belief and, and a risk, really, because, you mm. know, I didn't think I had something in me that people would want to hear. Um, but I remember the, the, just the beginning process of a book. Someone had said to me probably a few months, six months before I started writing, they said, oh, I believe you're going to write a book. And, uh, you know, when you hear those sort of things, like whatever, you know, 
like I'll write a book when you write a book, you know, and, and mm. sort of thing and just kind of disregarded it. And then one night I woke up about four o'clock in the morning. It was probably six months after that conversation. Wow. And uh, I just felt God give me the whole outline of the book. So, I mean, title, subheadings, headings, chapters, everything um, in this like outline. The whole, pretty much it was the, the outline you see in the book when you look to the table of contents was what God gave me. Looks a little different because I, you know, got to think it through a bit more and um, reword some stuff. But, but generally it started there and I had this, this concept in my head of, of what God wanted me to write. And, uh, you know, for some people, I guess, you know, if, you, if you're not sort of inclined to church and Christians, that's, that's cool. But for me, that was the inspiration. And obviously writing a book takes inspiration. Um, and then from there, I just started writing and tapping away um, on each of those subheadings and, and titles and whatever, and uh, felt that God was just sort of leading me in that. Um, but it did take, there was a real battle in it of, um, you know, along the process of like one starting to write. Um, then I got to a point where I kind of stopped for no real reason. I kind of stopped. It was around the time COVID hit. Mm. Um, I kind of put it down and was distracted. And um, I remember the voice of uh, a pastor, Phil Pringle. I was watching something and, and he just, said one thing that really after about two months of not writing he just in this message he just said one thing that stuck out I can't remember what the message is about but he said write the book and uh and it just clicked I clicked into gear and was like I've got to finish that book you know like I've nearly done I think I had about you know a chapter and a half two chapters to write um and then just you know obviously go through and start editing but um but the battle to get it finished was was real, you know, and, and I didn't realize until later that, you know, I was told by people that, you know, there's a lot of people that start writing books mm. and never finish them um, and never get them to a point where they get published and released. Um, so I kind of was, it kind of put a confidence in me to think I actually got the book finished. Yes. Um, but then the next step was to then give it to someone to edit. Um, and that was daunting as well, because the only other person that had read anything I'd written was my wife. And, you know, she's gracious and kind and, you know, she, she doesn't want to destroy me. So she's very encouraging, <laughs> but uh, to give it to someone that was trusted in my world and, and had edited books before and then for her to read through it and then come back with like a positive um, response. She, um, this lady had been, you know, on a board of um, a church conflict organization for many years and, and had been involved in a lot of kind of high end sort of ministry conflict issues and stuff so she had a great understanding of some of the stuff I was writing about and she just loved it and said this book's fantastic so she got stuck into editing and then of course sending it off to the, the publisher things like that it was a challenge because I had to believe in myself and yes um, up until this point I hadn't ever believed I would write a book to start with but also that people would want to read it um, so to be honest when I hear people get back to me and give me a you know, report back to me and say, hey, listen, I'm reading your book for the second or third time. Um, I kind of just sit there in disbelief and go, what the, you know, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's been an interesting journey, but it's taken a lot of self-belief and, you know, but it's also shown me one of the things I probably learned the most out of it was just how far I've come. The book helped me process my journey and it showed showed me how far I'd come in that journey of, of healing and, recovery from depression and anxiety and what I went through. So in the burnout. Yeah. Wow. And I, and I get a, a pro tip in there uh, for all leaders I'm hearing too, is have a notebook or something beside the bed for four o'clock in the morning. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cause you will not remember it once you go back to sleep. <laughs> 
Wow. And you might you just might get everything laid out for you. You might have an entire blueprint strategic blueprint yep. laid right out for you, but if you don't <laughs> capture it. <laughs> That's right. It's always it's always a regret in the morning when you wake up and go, what was that thought? I can't quite remember it. <laughs> yeah, great. Wow. And so what would be your, your top tip then for an aspiring author listening today? Well, my inspiring, my tip would be just write the book. So um, you might think, look, I'm not great at writing. I'm not, um, you know, great with words. Well, neither was I, you know, people would look at me and say, well, you know, he's not a smart man, but he's been with Jesus. And uh, I would agree with him. I'm not by any stretch of the bow a scholar or highly educated, but I had a story to tell. And, you know, every one of us has a story to tell, especially if God's put it in, someone's put it in your heart or you've got it in your heart to write. Mm. Um, your story matters and it needs to get out there. But the only way you're going to do that is by starting. Um, so when I started, I looked up on, I didn't have a clue how to write a book. So I looked up on Google, how to write a book. And, um, <laughs> and basically the guy said, just start. Don't worry about editing. Don't worry about spelling. Don't worry about grammar. Don't worry about any of that. Just get the, get the story on the page. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be my greatest encouragement to someone. Just start. Don't overthink it. Don't worry about what people would think of it. Um, there's a whole process called editing and whatever for that. Just get, the, get it out on the page and get started. Brilliant. Great tip. So let, let's head into the book itself, A Better Way. For me, like this is a brilliant read. And, and what I specifically like about it because it's one thing to say it's, it's a great read, but uh, rather, rather than like get to you know why it is for me. Um, first of all, you're a great communicator, Dave, and you know I've I've had the awesome privilege to to hear you communicate in a, in a variety of uh, formats and channels as well, not just through the book. And you are a great communicator. Mm. But secondly, it's written from experience. I, I I love that. And what I also love is that the third point is it comes with a solution. So that's why I think this is a brilliant read. And that's why I recommend it to the listeners of this podcast today. So to, to me, you're a leader who shows up as someone who's strong yet vulnerable. And, and like, even though this book subtitle says it's a better way for life and ministry, and you've already talked about the context of your journey there, but I believe leaders listening uh, today, like, the, like from all industries and all spheres of influence can glean from this book. So I want to encourage everyone not to switch off as we go into the contents of this book, even if you're of a different faith or no faith, I really want to encourage you to lean in with your, with your pen at the ready, because, you know, what, what they've shared in this book and what he's about to share, I think is really going to add value to your life. So in saying that, uh, in episode three of, of the Leadership Pause, and I encourage everyone to go back and have a listen to that, my guest Priscilla Jaya spoke of the global pandemic of mental health. Obviously, you know, and fair enough, there's a lot of talk of the pandemic of COVID, but there's also, she talked to the global pandemic of mental health and the leadership skill of mental health first aid. So, Dave, you've taken us with you on your own personal journey in, in your book, letting us into what you called damage to the soul or damage, specifically damage to your soul. And from the get-go, I want to acknowledge you your transparency with your aim to help other leaders and other people so thank you dave Thanks. you mentioned emotional and spiritual healing and also spiritual and physical realms mm. can you speak more to this whole being approach to healthy leadership and also this idea of a leader's soul 
Yeah, yeah. So um, spiritual, emotional, physical health all work together. So, you know, we're a, we're a three-part being, right? Body, soul, and spirit. So um, one enforces and helps the other. When one area is broken or, or, or lacking, it affects every other area. So, you know, for me, it was, um, in my experience, this, this um, you know, journey of discovering how that balance works um, because the reality is you can function highly in one area and have great output, great, you know, input and great achievements. But if, you're, if your personal health, your physical health is not good, then those achievements are not sustainable. If your spiritual health is not good and, and your internal world, your soul is not good, then these things are not sustainable in the long run. And of course, all of us want to have sustainability um, in what we're doing. And some of us, obviously, listening to this podcast today, you know, work in high pressure environments and, um, and that's not going to probably change anytime soon. But what can change is how we react in those environments and how we respond to those pressures and what we do to care for ourselves in the, in the area of self-care. Um, so for me, in my experience, we, I, I, what I discovered is we're immersed in this, this culture in leadership that is leadership at all costs. And it's been, um, you know, I know in, 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 in some of the church world, especially, which is where I'm from, um, in my professional world, um, there is an element there that says leadership at all costs. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, leadership has progressed. Churches have grown. Things have been achieved, but at a great cost to the human soul, a great cost to, uh, you know, many. when we look back, we see many, many people burn out, broken, out of ministry, giving up. Um, on stuff that you know they they felt was a great call in their life because there was a lack of um, on both sides of the coin one on the person's side but also maybe on the actual organization side to really focus in on uh, health and well-being of people for longevity um, so we ended up you know I, and I can see in, in the history of where I've been people being burnt through achieving goals making great things but then also falling apart and being let, you know, sort of thrown to the side for the next great person to come in and do the job. And so there's a great need out there. You know, the, the statistics in Australia themselves is, you know, one in seven people will experience depression um, and one in four people will have an anxiety issue in their lifetime. Now, that's, that's millions of people in our country. Um, you know, so, you know, yeah, there's, there's a, a great pandemic and there's an epidemic in our country in itself. Um, you know, and the, and, and, and the thing is, secular, in the secular world, outside of the church, they're, they're making great strides forward. And we see great, uh, you know, like Beyond Blue and Black Dog and all those sort of organizations are doing fantastic stuff. And, and for my heart, I guess, from my position in the church is to start to see that happening more and more. It's been a bit of an unspoken journey. Um, but the soul itself is, is probably a really important element of our, of our life that we can tend to neglect. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's because, well, we don't know how to deal with it because we've never been shown. We don't know how to ask ourselves the right questions about what we're feeling, what we're experiencing. So we just tend to push it aside and move forward. Um, but what I discovered is the more you push something aside, um, sooner or later, it's going to come back to bite you. And that's what happened to me. So, um, you know, there was a book that Andy Stanley wrote. Um, and Andy Stanley, for those that don't know, is a a, a leader in America. He runs a, a big church in America, but he's also really well known in the leadership um, environment. And uh, he wrote a book many years ago that I read probably uh, would be probably nearly 10 years ago now, but it was called Choosing to Cheat. And his basic concept in the book was that at any one time, we're choosing to cheat on something by making a decision to do something and that we should use wisdom and discernment 
when we choose to do something, realizing that there's an there's an, an outcome on the other side of the coin that we're cheating on. Um, anyway, his book goes it talks into a lot of this stuff, but to me, it really spoke about um, you know how do we move forward and and cheat on the right things? Because the reality is we can't give our attention to everything 100. percent um, There's really only a few things we can focus on properly. Um, so we need to then determine well what's most important and um, and then make decisions out of wisdom on what we're willing to cheat on. For some of us, we're choosing work over family and we're wondering why there's problems at home, but it's because we're making a decision to follow our career at the expense of our family and that that's not going to be sustainable. Others, it's our physical health. Others, it's our mental health. Um, we're choosing career or, or, or something over the top of that. And, uh, and so, like, you know, it's about that, that learning to make decisions in that environment that will benefit our soul, benefit our, our life in a healthy way. Yeah, wow. Thank you. There's a, there a lot in there. I'm going to go back and um, listen to the replay myself. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, just right, right on the get-go there. Um, yeah, so much in there. And, and I want to pick up that Andy Stanley book too. I, yeah, I've actually heard of Andy Stanley. I believe he's a, he's a good friend of my mentor, John Maxwell. So, mm. uh, I, yeah, I'm definitely going to check out that book as well. Thank you. Uh, so um, one, one of the tweetables, if that's still a thing these days, um, of your book uh, for me was, quote, there's nothing holy about self-neglect, unquote. For many leaders, especially in the corporate tower, priority is usually the business's bank balance, the boardroom deal, and the performance review. How did you discover that you were neglecting the internal stuff, the intangible stuff like you've just talked about? Yeah, so pretty easy answer. I broke. I had a breakdown. So until I broke down, physically, emotionally, um, I had I had no clue. I actually, um, I, write, I think I write about it in the book, but um, at the time of my breakdown, it was the time of my greatest success in ministry and running the church. Uh, we were seeing many people come into the church, join the church. We had opened up new ministry areas in, you know, areas where people were, were in need and isolation and were struggling financially. And, we, you know, so we were doing really great things and the church was seeing great moving great strides ahead we financially were doing really well um we had great amazing things i was actually you know on cloud nine if you like when it came to um how things were working out and then it was it was um over seriously overnight i mean yeah i guess if i was aware i probably could have seen it coming but i had no clue but within like a day or two i went from the top of the world to the bottom of the valley completely broken completely lost and not understanding what was going on because i had no clue um about emotional physical that kind of health um mm. and how to deal with it and um so i kind of found myself you know i think the outcome of that was i found myself um in the car in my driveway un- uncontrollable crying and anxiety and tax and um you know sitting there for an hour before my wife comes out she finds me in the car like what's going on and that was the big wake-up call for me. So the breakdown woke me up to my lack of self-care and a lack of awareness. And I think that's the biggest thing for people, some people, is that they're not, we're not even aware of the things that are leading us down that pathway. And the nature of it seems to be quite a um, sudden thing, even though it's not sudden. Um, mm-hmm. It's just because we don't see this warning signs along the way. 
Um, so that really, that's what it made me become aware of things I was blind to. Um, but definitely I found out when it was too late um, because I didn't have anyone that had told me, look, look after this area until it had happened. And I now, then I had people around me that I'd found that had helped, helped me through it. So, yeah. Wow. So I, and I know that this is your hope as well. And my hope is too, that, that the leaders that are listening today, that this will, will put a light on that and bring some awareness earlier earlier yeah, for, for listeners today so well yeah. that's really my goal you know is to break the silence and bring awareness around this issue more and more so yeah thank you yeah that's great so in your book you you say uh quote we have to find our reason to fight and then proclaim it every day unquote i've i've heard of knowing your compelling why and then you'll find your how but tell me more about this idea of proclamation. Okay, so for me, um, you know, I had the breakdown. I was, you know, days just laying in bed, struggling with unrelenting anxiety attacks, one after the other after the other. It was debilitating. Mm. Um, and and I kind of got to a point where I realised, you know, I need to I need to find a reason to get up every day um, because going through that, the last thing I wanted to do was get out of bed in the morning. The last thing I wanted to do is get up and do anything. I just wanted to lay in bed all day and just sleep if I could, you know. And uh, so I had to discover a reason to fight. Um, and, you know, for me, it was my it was my family. It was my kids. I started to think about, you know what, I want my kids to know that no matter what they go through, um, they can get through it and they can overcome it, that nothing's impossible to overcome when it comes to life. You can overcome things. And so uh, literally that became my mantra. Um, and so the proclamation of that would be, I, you know, I started running. That was one of the things I started doing. I'd run every day, you know, 5Ks every day. And uh, which, you know, for some is, that's a walk in the park. But for me, it was an effort and a half. But um, I remember as I was running, people must have thought I was crazy. Because as I was running, I'm, I'm talking to the depression as I'm running running past people, telling the depression, I'm going to overcome you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to do this for my kids. I'm going to do this to show them that, you know, nothing's impossible for them. They can overcome anything in life and they're going to have an example. And, and I just would be running and doing this and sometimes even quite loudly speaking to this depression saying, enough's enough, this is over. And uh, so people must have thought I was the crazy guy, you know, running around the street. We've all seen those guys that talk to themselves in the street, you know, we think, oh, what a, you know, he needs a lot of help. He's got a lot of friends and, they're all inside his head, you sort of thing. But, but, um, but, but for me, it was this became the proclamation. You know, this became the reason to fight. Yeah. This became my driving motivator. Um, and it could be a number of things for anybody that that motivation. But, um, but you got to find it because it gives you purpose. It gives you a reason to get out of bed in the morning, um, especially when you're dealing with something that, you know, just makes you want to lay down and die. <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. That's that's a, a really important topic for for us leaders. Um, there's been a like a stigma, if you like, on like self talk, even like people and say, "Oh, if you talk to yourself, you must be crazy." <laughs> like 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 you alluded to in that illustration when you're running, like that, and that's actually, um, I, I believe that that's a trap in itself, and. Yeah. You know, and when we become aware of our self-talk and, you know, that's the starting point to transformation is first having that awareness. And mm. that 
that trap actually tricks us into not even getting to awareness because then we leave it alone, yeah. let it run, run automatically, and then it actually runs our life. Yeah. And, yeah. and for you, I'm hearing here yeah, the power of words is that you, you've actually thrown a spanner in the work, so to speak. You've short-circuited the machine and said, I'm, yeah. I'm going to throw other words into this, so to yeah. speak. So my mentor at the time, when I was going through this, there was one particular guy, a pastor leader of mine, still in my world today, still speaks in my life. He's more of an unintentional mentor, which we can talk about later when we get into mm. it. But um, he, the first thing he taught me was to get up every morning and tell myself, I'm okay. Everything's going to work out. And he said, every time you feel down, tell yourself, I'm okay. Everything's going to work out. Um, and so sooner or later, you start believing it. So, uh, so I just kept, I just took his advice, you know, cause I knew nothing, but, um, but definitely that, you know, those words make a difference. Yeah. Wow. Def definitely um, something for me to pay more attention to myself. Yeah. That, that's great. Um, for me as a, a leader intentionally and strategically drives change. So you mentioned quote to refuse change is a refusal to grow unquote. Can you share with us the exchange that you see between our personal growth and change? Yeah, look, change is something few people like. I, don't, I haven't really met many people that like it. And even those that do say they like it, don't always like every element of it. You know, it's actually quite uncomfortable to change things, especially things you're ingrained in for a long time. Um, but like you said, leadership is about that. It's about leading change and embracing that change and, um, you know, but the reality is, is if we're not willing to change, life will force change upon us. You know, we are not the same person we were 12 months ago. We have changed and we will change in the next 12 months. And you can do that kicking and screaming or you can do it with a willingness in your heart to go, okay, this is uncomfortable. I don't like it, but I've got to walk through it. And, um, and I think for me, that's, that's the trade-off. It's like, you know, change, change and growth walk hand in hand. Um, you know, plants need seasons to grow. Um, they need change in seasons for different stages of their growth and to reproduce, you know what I mean? So yeah. um, it's the same in life. We need those seasons of change. We need those things. We need to be able to embrace change instead of um, fighting it because the reality is it, change is going to happen anyway. Uh, and it will happen with you or without you. Um, but if it happens without you, you might not make it across the line. Like you might be put out or you might lose that employment opportunity um, because you don't have a big enough vision to go, I can work with this, even though it's difficult. Um, so for me, change was a challenge, but it was a challenge I had to, and I wasn't accustomed to it. Um, I'd heard a lot about it, but not had, you know, this was, for me, it was quite a significant change because for me to get away from the depression and anxiety and, get, and find healing in that, I had to choose to live my life completely differently forever. Um, I couldn't go back to the old patterns always. Um, otherwise, I was never going to get freedom. Um, so, so I had to embrace change. And that was difficult um, because some of that change was, you know, was looking at me and looking at the things that are wrong in me and being confronted by my weaknesses and then having to be willing to go, okay, I accept that, take responsibility for it and make the change to do something I'd never done before. So um, change is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah, so when talking about recovery in your book, you referred to, quote, spiritual and emotional lactic acid, unquote. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard of spiritual and emotional lactic acid. So even just for my benefit, can you, can you talk yeah. about that? 
<laughs> so like it's just like any athlete understands when they're in you know a high energy output environment they're going between competitions and training and they're in a season of performance um you know without the right recovery structure and process um their performance goes down not up um so things like lactic acid that build up in the body um if they don't deal with that properly um then then it affects their performance in the future um so it's the same in life um you know we have times of high energy output where we are high on the performance structure and we're we're, we're achieving things and we're doing great things um, you know, I had that experience in the church just before I had my breakdown. It was high energy output, great results, great things happening, good rewards. Um, but because I wasn't, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to stop and take stock of my life mm-hmm. and know when I needed to stop and recover. Um, and so you know, when I refer to the spiritual and emotional lactic acid, it's the buildup of consistent energy output without an understanding of how to find recovery and rest in those times. Um, so going from one great energy output to the next, to the next, to the next, thinking that somehow there's an, you know, an, un, an unstoppable amount of energy on the, like we're an ever ready, ever ready battery running, 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 running. Every other battery runs out, but not me. I will never run out. And, and the reality is none of us can sustain that pace forever. Um, we need to learn how to stop. We need to learn how to, read our own emotions and read ourselves and have that internal um, reflection, personal reflection. You know, it's an art that's been lost in some people uh, around that, that the ability to look within and ask the right questions and reflect upon ourselves and know our limitations and work within those limitations. And that doesn't mean we don't challenge those limitations, but we understand that you know, limitations are good um, because they give us parameters and boundaries on how to stay sustainable. Yeah. Wow. Does that make sense? (laughs) It does. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about even in my own journey, like um, when you're talking about, you know, like, you know, the, the internal reflection and so forth, that it was very freeing for me when I realized that alone didn't mean lonely when Mm. I finally got that. Yeah. And, you know, I got comfortable with, with, being just there and, and having those moments that I now call the potent pause. Uh, in your book, you said, quote, I have discovered I love my own company, unquote. You were trying to distract yourself by finding ways of always being around people. Can you give us some insight into what that security of just hanging out with yourself looks like, even if it's just rest or intentional thinking? Yeah, yeah. So a bit of background on that thought process is that um, I spent, you know, nearly 18 years or something in 17 years in depression anxiety from when i was a kid and uh so i spent a lot of my time surrounding myself with people to avoid um the negative voices and thoughts and depression in my mind um so i would surround myself with people all the time i never spent time on my own um until i started this recovery process and the first time i kind of encountered this really like properly was i went away for three what three days to Townsville and on, on up to Magnetic Island all by myself. I'd never done a holiday like that by myself before. And I actually started writing my book there. Um, so that's what I went away for. I went up to visit our church there and then I went over to the island by myself for three days and just tapped away on the computer in a room, basically. Did a bit of touring and whatever, but um, and realised that I actually enjoyed my own company, that, uh, that it actually was a, a ref- I'd never done it before. 
and uh, I'd, 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 I'd sacrificed so much and been robbed of so much because of the depression. Um, so to discover that I actually enjoyed myself and liked myself enough to spend time by myself was, uh, was an interesting thing. Um, but also in that time, it, 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 like those times where you can sit by yourself and not have a distraction and just with your own thoughts, um, you know, and sometimes it is just purely sitting and thinking or, or, or just sitting and, you know, do, reading a book or whatever it may be. But, but it's, it's so refreshing to be able to embrace your own company. Um, and I found, you know, a clearer thought process would come because the distractions went around. Um, and of course, I had come a long way in that journey of dealing with the thought processes of my mind and renewing that thinking to be able to get past a lot of the negative thoughts and whatnot that were happening. Um, but I tell you, if you, haven't, if you haven't really done alone time, it's a good thing to, to do that. It, it's actually quite refreshing, quite replenishing of the soul to be able to sit. And of course, you know, some of my alone time is, um, you know, where I reflect, where I pray, where I read my Bible and speak with God. And um, I know that maybe doesn't translate to everyone's world, but, but the reality is, you know, to engage that internal voice that we have. Um, and have the conversation with yourself about certain things that are going on internally or around you, um, that space creates an opportunity for you to ask yourself the right questions about what you're experiencing in certain situations um, to find, you know, most of us, we have the answers within us when it comes to the problems we're facing. We're just not asking the right questions to, to draw them out. And to do that, wow. you kind of need space for it. Wow. That was great. <laughs> that, that, that was the, that was the tweetable of the podcast right there, that, that final line. Wow, I love that one. I'm going back to the replay on that one. Some, some say that experience is the best teacher. My mentor, John Maxwell, says that actually evaluated experience is. Mm. I love how you have practical tips throughout your book. And you just touched on this. Um, when it comes to self-reflection, you, you even offer specific questions in your book. That we can ask ourselves so yeah listeners get the book because the questions are already in there <laughs> and i love this because i believe that questions can lead us to clarity and mm. clarity can lead us to success yeah so as as a promoter of what i call the potent pause i'm curious does dave barter have a regular thinking place where he asks questions like these where is it and what does your routine look like can you can you paint us a picture of your spot okay yeah, yeah. So for me, um, most of my quiet time happens in the morning. Um, it, it, it'll vary a little bit um, depending on the pressures. I have a young family and, and whatnot. So, you know, depending on what's happening, um, I may have to adjust my schedule. I don't get too strict on it. But most of the time between 8 and 9 a.m. in the morning is my golden time, if you like. <laughs> um, I help my wife get the kids ready for school, get their lunches and everything made, get her off to work. And then I'm left at home in this space by myself. Um, and, uh, you know, so before I, I also run a business on the side, mm -hmm. um, so I'd normally start work in my business by about nine. So I have about an hour where I'll sit. And obviously I said before, I'll pray, I'll read my Bible, I'll read books. Um, but also sometimes I'll just sit with a cup of coffee and look out the window and think through stuff. Um, but that hour always seems to be around the morning time. And, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't have a lot involved. Sometimes it has more involved and, uh, but, but it's definitely the space that I use to uh, reflect and, and you know, really just ask myself the right questions or pray or read my word or read a book. It doesn't really matter what I'm doing. Um, but it just gives me that space, if you like, to, um, to have that time to myself, that potent pause, I guess, is what it is. 
Yeah, wow. That, that, that's good. I love to hear that you've got, you've intentionally carved out a space for it, you know, that there is, there is space for whatever that's going to look like, but you actually are stepping out of the traffic and, mm. and doing that. Yeah, brilliant. So you talk about correction in your book. Uh, in, in his book four, Jeff Henderson says, quote, the most harmful feedback is none at all, unquote. Please speak to us more about the role of correction in a leader's life and the ideal protocols uh, for doing this you know, so it can be beneficial and the, the value of correction. Yeah, yeah. So correction's like super important in a leader's life. I think if any of us get to a point where we think we've made it and there's nothing else to learn, then we've really just missed the point on it all anyway. Um, so being willing to be wrong is a massive thing I've learned wow. that it's okay to be wrong um, and make the adjustments uh, it's all those sorts of added, that attitude is a healthy aspect of leadership. Um, a good leader will not be afraid, afraid to be wrong. Um, and also a good leader can empower their team to point it out sometimes. Um, I think that transparency on a team is invaluable. Um, that, that leaders by example will, sh will be willing to be that vulnerable to say, hey, I was wrong in that situation. Let's see if we can repair that or do what we need to do to fix it. Um, yeah, so that's a massive, uh, massive thing. But for this to happen, we have to be willing to open ourselves to external voices. Mm. Um, so there, there really is kind of in my mind a few different ways we, we receive. We have our own personal correction, which we correct our own life, which comes from our own internal um, reflection, if you like. We look at a situation and we adjust accordingly because we see it's not right. Um, then there's the external correction um, that comes from an outside source, an outside voice. Um, this is where, you know, having a mentor or a coach is super valuable yes. um, because we all need people around us that doesn't, don't just tell us what we want to hear. Um, we're very good at bringing people around us to tell us how great we are and what we want to hear about life. But to have that person in our world that tells us what we need to hear, whether we like it or not, and give them the permission to do that. That yeah. um, can be challenging, it can be hard, but, <laughs> but the willingness to be wrong and allow that process to take place actually causes growth. We learn more out of our mistakes than we do out of our successes. Um, I think anyway, I think we grow mm. more out of our mistakes. There's more lessons in mistakes than there is success. Um, so that whole idea of, you know, really allowing those voices to bring correction when needed um, is super important. And then of course, as a Christian, we have godly correction where we feel God is correcting us on a situation that we need to deal with. Um, and so we, you know, we deal with that the way a Christian would deal with it. So. Yeah, wow. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's a, a topic that I, I personally don't hear much talk about. And I think, you know, I think that you've just um, helped a lot of a lot of people, even in that point, to um to explore that more, as you say, even within their teams or their organizations. So mm. that was great. Thank you. Uh, a coaching client of mine discovered that comparison with peers was eroding their leadership brand. Comparison can also be a trap for personal growth. In your book, you even called it a killer. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like we need a watchman on the wall. So, so what do leaders need to be aware of here? Yeah, um, comparison. To me, it is, it's a killer. It's a killer of culture. It's a killer of performance. It's a killer of success, really. Um, the thought process of comparison is basically, I need to be somebody else to be successful. 
um, that somehow that person's better than me, so I'm going to compare myself and outdo them. Um, but the reality is, although there can be some healthy elements to a thought process like that in the right context, generally, um, if we're sacrificing who we are to become like someone else to try and achieve better, then we're really missing the point of, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so comparison, that thought process of the grass is greener on the other side, which is a nice thought when you're looking until you realize you have to mow the other side and mow their lawn for them. <laughs> and you realize it's just as much work, if not more, to keep the grass greener than what you've got. So um, I, I've just experienced this comparison environment in, in organizations that, um, and sometimes it's a secret thing. It's, it's, it's an undercover thing. It's not, it's not openly spoken about, but it's aware that it's there. Um, where you know, employees or, or pastors in my context are performing against each other and critiquing themselves against each other all the time. Mm. And there becomes this like silent competition going on of who can get the greatest recognition, who can get the greatest elevation and who can be seen as the greatest and the most you know, successful person. Um, and a lot of that feeds into our own ego, doesn't it? Like, you know, stroking our own ego to make ourselves feel good and bringing other... And look, the reality is, as an Aussie, there's already a bit of an element in our culture of the tall poppy syndrome where, you know, we pull down the successful to make ourselves feel better. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what comparison does. It just is not helpful in any step of the way. Um, you know, the only good comparison I think we can have is when we, we imitate our mentors and people that we want to learn from and grow from but it's a healthy element not a unhealthy approach yeah um, you know i mean we're taking good qualities of someone and saying i want to become like that um and then we set out to achieve those things um but when it's about competition and and performance and we end up you know doing things and saying things and becoming things we are not um just to be successful then we've got a problem on our hands mm, yeah yeah very yeah very good point i love the distinction there too between a straight up comparison and, and the idea of modeling, mm. mod, modeling, of, of, you know, of someone, you know, obviously, you know, um, you mentioned failure leaves clues and then also success leaves clues as well. So we can model off somebody mm. in a pursuit that we, we want to be good at, but of course, be careful that we're not running outside our lane. And yeah, yeah. And, that, that's a yeah. big thing. I think learning to run in your own lane, Mm. Um, you know, at the end of the day, more than anything, you're, you're competing against yourself in life to yeah. better yourself, not become better than others all the time. Um, and I think sometimes what happens is we just veer a little bit off course. And if, if we're quick, we can pull it back in. Mm. Um, but sometimes right. we miss the point and we have to have a full correction moment <laughs> to get it right. So, yeah, love it. Love it. Great. Thank you. Um, so John Maxwell's law of awareness states, quote, know yourself to grow yourself, unquote. My clients have the opportunity to complete personality profile assessments, gain a comprehensive report, receive subsequent training to build their awareness, which we've been you know, talking about today. Um, I also facilitate the gamification of a leadership conversation with their teams. And it's been quite the revelation for, for leaders and their teams when we do this. Can you speak to us about the importance of the identity and mm. purpose for leaders. Yeah, I think um, understanding that identity and purpose really walk hand in hand. They're, they're two tracks on the same train line. Um, and you can't really figure one out without the other. Um, so understanding who you are, what you, who, why you're here, um, are so important to the human, the human soul, the human expression and who we are. 
Um, so, you know, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't until I realized who I was that I actually discovered what I was going to do with my life. Um, and because of that, you know, obviously I became a, a Christian, which led that really helped me. For me, I found my identity in my relationship with God as a father. And, uh, you know, as a young boy, I didn't have a dad around. He left when I was young. And um, so I didn't have a, a real father that was there to encourage me and point me in the right direction as some dads do with their children. Um, of course, not everyone has that experience, but generally, you know, the, the role of a father is to instill identity and, and, and purpose in their children to help them discover that. So it wasn't until I became a Christian that I really started to discover that there was more to me than what I had thought there was. I had always walked around with a very low self-esteem and opinion of myself because I just didn't think I was anything significant. But, um, you know, as I discovered who I was and, and started to look into that a bit more and learn about that, learning about my strengths and weaknesses and learning about why I respond to things the way I do and mm. because of who I am and, and you know, my, even these things like my upbringing and how that has impacted the, the person I am today and um, led me to realize that there is a greater purpose for me in my life. And, and, and then to watch that purpose unfold as I pursued, you know, training and, and things to show to help me grow in that area. Um, yeah. And then to see that impact into other people's lives um, so the identity and purpose of, of your life is so important to discover. And it's, a, it's, it's well and truly a, um, a journey that we should not give up on. Um, mm. You know, it, it, it'll unfold as you just keep pursuing it. Um, and you'll always be learning new things about yourself. You actually never really get there. You're always, there's always something new to discover about yourself. And, um, and part of the fun has been on that journey of identity, you know, really figure, trying to figure it out. It's a fun journey. So. Yeah, great. Love it. Love it. Uh, so as a, as a mentor and a mentee, I absolutely loved reading your fresh approach to mentoring. Mm. I've heard it said that love without truth is hypocrisy and truth without love is brutality. You put it like this, quote, I've always liked the idea of having someone in my world who will not just tell me what I want to hear, but rather what I need to hear unquote finding a mentor who fits this doesn't just come by chance so how did you go about selecting and entering into a, a mentor mentee relationship and also what do you recommend mentees do to prepare so they value everyone's time okay so for me it's quite funny because they generally don't happen by chance but my first mentor mentor experience was kind of by chance um, when I had no clue what it was all about. I didn't really even understand it, but um, I, I referred to a, a leader, a pastor of mine previously, and he, um, he was, you know, the guy that really walked through the dark moments of my life with me. He'd been, you know, a guy that I'd looked up to for a long time and wanted to sort of uh, resemble him and, and imitate him in his leadership and the way he ministered because, um, you know, he was a great inspiration to me. And, um, that relationship just kind of unfolded over the years to the point where when I did go through something, he was there. And that's what opened my eyes to this whole mentoring thing. Um, so then from there on, though, then it became, well, the next step was I came into a, an employment role as a church pastor in my current job where my boss was right into mentoring. And it was kind of part of the, the job that, you know, I had to be part of this thing that opened my mind to it. And then just recently I've been um, engaging with a guy who's another leader in a different environment. 
um, who's been spending time with me. And that was me engaging him. I could, I was looking for something um, that I wasn't currently finding in my current context. Um, so, and I knew this guy that had it. So I approached him and said, look, can we, can we align? So really for me, when it comes to finding a mentor or a coach, I'm looking for the fruit in that person's life. I'm looking for, do they have what I feel like I need to grow in? Is that a fruit of their life? And mm-hmm. if so, then, then well, it's worth investigation. Um, and that investigation might just start out as a coffee to see whether there's a connection. Yes. Um, because obviously, you know, that kind of role works best when there's a bit of synergy and a bit of connection and chemistry in the relationship. Um, and, and that you feel like you could trust that person to be able to open up because the reality is with mentoring and coaching, if you're not going to open up and be vulnerable about situations, you're probably not going to see much growth. Um, because Absolutely. if we stay guarded and shielded in situations, then um, the mentor can't speak into our world the way they need to to help us see growth come. Um, so, yeah, so, so now I look for the fruit in a mentor's life um, that I would like to see in my own life and then and sort of pursue that. Um, when, it, when it comes to um, meeting with a mentor, making sure we've prepared ourselves properly, um, in my book I talk a little bit about this, but... One of the things I learned was to commit to being an open book. So that vulnerability, um, open your life and let the person in. Um, because the only way a mentor or a coach can help you is by having access. Um, mm. Like I said before, another thing was to never come unprepared. You know, you will waste people's time if you don't prepare yourself before you turn up to a meeting. Um, you waste valuable time. And it's, it's really just a disrespectful to some degree to a mentor that is in you know, the thing we have to realize about a mentor is most mentors are busy. They've got a lot on their plate and they're achieving, you know, they've got a lot to achieve in their day um, and they're making time for us yes. and, and carving out a space. And we really, as a mentee, need to re- respect that, um, that time and that energy because there's a lot of other things they could be doing. Um, so being prepared, um, which means do the homework. If there's things they've asked you to do, make sure you've done them by the next meeting so that when you come back, you're not wasting their time and they can, um, you can move forward together. So that's a big thing and position yourself to get the best out of a mentor. Um, you know, so be open, be willing, embrace them. The other thing would be also always show gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, be thankful for the time that they invest. Like I said, they are very busy people normally um, and could be doing many things, but they choose to open their world to allow you to come in and, 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 and grow under their leadership or, um, so thank you cards, gifts, pay for lunch and breakfast when you're with them. Don't let them pay for the coffee. You pay for their coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go to them. Don't always make them come to you. Uh, for me, I, I'll travel across the city to meet with mentors. Um, never, ever expect them to come to me. Um, but most of all, I think that out of all of it um, is value their time. Um, it's a valuable asset and, you know, to take it serious and implement what they're asking you to do. Um, and you'll see great results. And that will be a great blessing to your world. And, and it attracts favor. When you come in the favor of someone in that leadership role, um, you know, doors of opportunity open um, if you treat it the right way. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's gold right there. Just that, just, just what you've shared, just that I'm just so passionate about mentorship, as you know, and, and um, yeah, you've really, um, you've really laid it out there really well for, for myself and all our listeners um, how, how to really get the most out of a, a mentorship relationship. So I really appreciate that. Now, 
as as I said, you know, you're a great communicator, and again, you've you've communicated um, so well, Dave. Like as like even in, into my, my own life, I just I just thank you for this time today. Like you've you've added so much to me, and I I know there's going to be listeners. I know, know I'm going to get feedback that people will feel the same way about this today. So I just want to encourage everyone listening that if if you thought this was great and you want to dive deeper, go go and get Dave's book. A better way we'll we'll put the links in the in the show notes and and have that all available for you how you can connect with dave and and, and get that book in your hands i really want to encourage you to, to dive into that if you found value in today uh, really um, important topics for leadership in 2021 absolutely um the the, the soul of a leader and, and and the health the holistic health of a leader so I just, I really appreciate your time today, Dave, and, and, and what you've given to us. Uh, do you have any final words that you would share with, with leader listeners today? Um, yeah, look, if I could leave you with anything, um, it would be, you know, just to break the silence, break that stigma around this in your workplace, in your, in your wherever you may find yourself in your career or whatever it is, break the silence, make the difference, be the voice that you know starts to speak about this openly and uh you know there are there are people in your organization or around you that are afraid to speak about it and they just need someone courageous enough to start the conversation um and and that will be enough for that person to start moving forward um so my encouragement is just break the silence start the conversation and uh and jump on a better way like jump on a better way of doing things a better way of living life and doing church or or your employment role or your career, um, we can always get better at it. So, Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dave, for sharing with us a better way and adding to our leadership journey. You're very much appreciated. Thank you for your time today. You're welcome. Wow. Did you find value in that? If you did and you'd like to dive deeper, I'd encourage you to get Dave's book, A Better Way, A Better Way for Life and Ministry. I believe this is a book, just like this podcast episode, that can help leaders of all spheres of influence, and regardless of the industry that you're a part of. So please look for his book, A Better Way, A Better Way for Life and Ministry. Also I encourage you too to connect with Dave at Instagram, a underscore better underscore way underscore life and you might like to check out his business as well mr and mrs vintage.com who do you know that would add value to the listeners of this podcast please connect with me and let me know who should be a guest on the leadership pause you can connect with me at instagram jason underscore Hewitt.